0: The Career Pod brought to you by Transition Solutions. Our host for today's episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. My name is Fred Studley, and Nancy Babine Kaczynski will be our guest today. Nancy is a very experienced and successful CEO and president in a variety of markets, both large and small. Among the subjects she'll be discussing are management style, advice for professional women, and core responsibilities and skills that she built over her career. I'm sure you enjoy our discussion. Well, today we have uh, Nancy Babine Kaczynski who's joining us on CareerPod and we'll go through uh, some of the more fascinating parts of her career and we're very pleased to have you here today, Nancy.
1: Thank you, glad to be here.
0: Well, Nancy, why don't we start in the beginning, uh, parental and environmental pressure or 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 just the environment can create a real uh, triggering A person's career choice and how they they work. But how about your early life? Uh, What what can you tell us about it?
1: So, actually, I had a very nice early life. I grew up in Arlington, Massachusetts. I was one of four kids. My dad owned his own business, and business was always talked about at the kitchen table. And we were also all about sports. So, sports and business were the two kind of common threads of my entire life. (laughs)
0: So, was he a Red Sox fan that led everybody, Uh, or basketball, or all of the
1: above? Well, he was a great. Hockey player loved hockey. Played for um, many teams in hockey, but we loved all sports. Okay. You know, it was um, yeah. It was just sportsmanship, teammanship. All of that was uh, a big big topic in our house.
0: Now, as a parent, have you emulated that style when absolutely, you at dinner table? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. My mm. kids play every sport known to mankind, and I spent half my life on fields.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, how about schooling? Where'd you go to school?
1: So I went to Simmons College in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. And interesting, I chose Simmons because they had a physical therapy. To, you know, major. Right. Um, I don't know why I chose physical therapy at that point. I think I was probably watching a soap opera and it looked interesting. I was kind of that deep. Right. Okay. Um, got to school, realized that I had no interest in it whatsoever, and eventually came upon finance and management, and ended up majoring in, in business and finance.
0: Okay. And how about the first jobs you you had? Uh- before you got into management, so to speak. What were those early jobs like? So
1: it was interesting. I kind of, I lucked out. When I graduated from college, I went down the Cape to waitress because that's what you did if you didn't have a, a job. And I actually got a call from one of the deans at the college saying that Polaroid was looking for a junior cost analyst in their new Bed Fit manufacturing plant. So I went in for the interview, um, and I got the job. So I ended up landing a job kind of happenstance In the area that I had studied for and it was I was fortunate because Polaroid was a big company and they had a training program and they had a path for you to take so you went from a junior analyst to an analyst to a senior analyst to a financial manager so there was a nice path that you could follow and learned a lot along the way and they had multiple sites so you also got to move geographically around meet new people and do new things
0: okay and early on what kind of skills uh, did that experience uh, Give you
1: so actually it helped me understand just the basic P and L balance sheet of a company and all the integral pieces that that pull together to get there, um, whether it be costing of something, whether it be the inventory control, whether it be the purchasing side of it, whether it be the analysis of the cost reductions you needed to make. There was a lot. And I ended up going through a lot of the cost analyst stages and then became a senior financial manager. And I was in charge of the international transfer pricing, the price by which we sold throughout the the company. And that was fascinating too, because it was my first taste into the international world.
0: Okay. And how long in total were you at uh, Polaroid? I
1: was there seven years. Okay. Yes.
0: And uh, Polaroid was one of those premium firms uh, at the time.
1: Absolutely. It was a great place to work, great right. people.
0: Good. Great. And where did you go after Polaroid?
1: So I ended up going to a company called Mast Industries, which okay. was part of the Limited. And the Limited Inc. at that time was just beginning to grow. It was Limited Stores, Express, Victoria's Secret, Lane Bryant. It was really Martin Trust is the uh, was the president and owner of Mast Industries here in Boston. And he was a partner with Les Wexner, Who is started The Limited. So I went in as their international controller. Okay. Again, I had no idea what an international controller did, but I had been at Polaroid seven years. I figured I'd learned as much as I needed to learn, and this sounded interesting.
0: Yeah, and and you've worked for some premium companies, and for some of the listeners, uh, sometimes working for a perceived premium company, uh, you can get rewarded. Yes. Uh, You know, and Polaroid at the time had that great reputation. I suspect now working for Google or Amazon or Microsoft Mm -hmm. uh, has the same kind of panache
1: or plus. Well, I think it it also opens up your network. Right. You meet a lot of people. You work with a lot of people. There's a lot of cross-functional teams. And then all those people disperse. And as they disperse, your network just keeps getting bigger and bigger.
0: They didn't have LinkedIn at the time. Didn't have LinkedIn at the time.
1: Nope. (laughs)
0: Now, so far you've come up through accounting, cost accounting, Mm -hmm. finance, analyst, now you're an international controller. Uh, and at some point, you made a change at MAST, if I recall. That's right. Into, was it marketing, it I believe? A,
1: yes, it was in the marketing sourcing area. So when I went to MAST Industries, I first was in the international controller world, which led me to travel extensively in Asia, um, really work with all of their offices over there. And I controlled what they called a pot- quota portfolio, um, which really, back in the day, was X amount of product can come in under a quota because it was protection for US manufacturing. Right. So owning quota, selling quota, buying quota, it really kind of was the bottom line basis for how you put your sourcing strategy together. Hmm. And for mass industry and the limited, it was all about being able to bring a lot of product in that was trend right and just in time. Okay. So I became very proficient on where to make product, what countries you should be in, how to start putting together partnerships with factories. And I was very fortunate that I worked for Marty Trust because he became a very important mentor in my life. Hmm. Um, Marty is the one that really, after a while of working together on that sourcing side of it, said to me, you know what? time for you to leave finance. I want you to come on over. I'm going to make you a a vice president, and I want you to run our limited stores division of MAST. Yeah.
0: A lot of uh, our discussions focus on mentoring and what how we benefit and how we can benefit others in mentoring. Uh, was that an informal relationship? He just threw osmosis. He watched you work and realized you had these uh, good attributes. Or did you seek him out? I want to mentor. And this was some time ago where yeah. mentoring was not really a key word or phrase. So right. how did that evolve?
1: You know, I think it really evolved out of our working relationship. Hmm. So he and I worked closely together. I traveled with him. What I, was, what I was handling was important to the growth of the company. Yeah. And I think he just liked my business style and thought that I could do more. Okay. Um, so I was, I was lucky that he was there for that. And um, brilliant man, just a brilliant man. And obviously, good taste and brilliance. <laughs> All right, there you
0: go. Now, how about frustrations in that job? Were there any frustrations? Uh-
1: oh, lots of frustrations because everything was... You had to remember where technology was back then. It's not like today where everything is immediate and there's easy communication devices to speak with everybody around the world. Right. So back then, we would be constantly traveling. I used to go to Asia 10 times a year. I'd go to Europe a few times a year. Every Monday night, I'd fly to Columbus to be in the meetings because reports had been run. And you had to decide you're going to stop the pink sweaters and make more of the yellow sweaters or you're making more jeans and less khakis. So it had to be very fast in real time, but it was cumbersome. So you were on the phone a lot. You were physically traveling a lot. And no matter what you did, it wasn't fast enough. So you were always trying to do it better, do it faster, keep the competition out. Um, And we did a good job at it, but it was never done. It was never done.
0: Now, I would make the observation. You mentioned that you you could never work fast enough. Uh, I was going to talk about the big battery that you must have. You've got a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. You talk articulately, but you also... (laughs) or a speedy talker. And uh, I, I suspect you have to have a certain personality to succeed in some of these environments where it's it's a go-go environment. It's global. And that probably hasn't changed. Exactly. It, in some ways, they can get a hold of us 24 by 7 now. Right. So for the listeners, I think self-awareness is important, that you have to know about fit. What's a good fit for me? Will mm-hmm. my energy be used and, uh, for instance, going into a maintenance environment with the level of work ethic you have would be tough. Very hard. Uh, Is that an element when you've made career choices?
1: Well, I think, you know, on the early days of my career, because you are more programmed and you had certain responsibilities to do, there were jobs that I loved and there was jobs that were just okay. Hmm. I felt it there. Um, Once I moved into the leadership role at Mast Industries. I got very comfortable on a few things and I think I also got to know myself better. Hmm. And to me, you know, it is about I have a lot of energy and I can I can I have a lot of duration for that, for sure. But I think the other thing that's so important is to I have confidence. Hmm. I'm not the brightest one out there, but I don't have fear. So, I'm okay with a blank canvas. I'm okay with failing. I'm okay with doing it a different way. And I think that helped me a lot. I also, I have the silly little things. Like when I went to first going to work, I couldn't type. I never learned to type in college Mm. because I was afraid if I knew how to type when I got into the working world, someone would ask me to type and I'd become their assistant, and I didn't have an interest in that. So I never learned to type, so if somebody asked me to do something like that, I I could easily say, sorry, I can't help you because I couldn't. So I, I knew myself well enough to know that I had goals of where I wanted to go, and I had to be careful how mm. to maneuver myself. Um, I was promoted very early and young to the senior financial manager at Polaroid, and part of the reason was I went running every day with the management team. we yeah. used to run around the rivers. So when they had the short list of candidates, people knew who I was. Right. So I, I intuitively understood I had to fit in and I had to... Go for it a little bit and be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I'd love to see more in people is figure out who they are and then be real comfortable with what that is. Right. You know, because confidence brings so much, regardless of what position you're in. If you're yeah. confident, you're usually happier and you can do more things.
0: I think frequency of contact and exposure and, and as you said, being uncomfortable and and... Trying to be fearless uh, in in some situations uh, all gets you rewarded. Now there's a for a woman in work, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, we're getting better at that. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in your lifetime, uh, you've certainly seen bias, worked through bias. Uh, the the bit about the typing is a small thing. But now we call it keyboarding, right. by the way. Right, And I'm, st- uh, I'm still terrible at a keyboard yes, so as a result. <laughs> so, but that, that's a little thing, but it does convey, uh, you know, the history of women at work mm-hmm. and so forth. So mm-hmm. if I asked you a little bit more broader question about advice for women at work, what general advice would you give women?
1: You know, I, I think that women need to feel good about themselves. I think they need to understand that most, a lot of the environments they're going to be in are going to be different, because men and women do think a bit differently, and they do talk a little differently, not 100 percent of the time, but you know there's some an eight differences in the way in the behavior. Yeah. And y- it's really important to acknowledge it, understand it and make it work for you and not to have it paralyze you or make you uncomfortable. Because Mm. even to this day, there'll be many times you walk into a room and you will be the only female leader sitting there. Right. You will. And the conversation when you're in the room is probably a little bit different than the conversation when you leave the room. So you can use that as an impetus to be beneficial or it can make you feel uncomfortable. And you need to go with the beneficial side because you have a lot to offer, you wouldn't be sitting there. Right. And you know I see so many young women who come out of school and they've been great athletes, they've been captains they've they really have huge accomplishments, and business can suck that out of them so quickly if they allow it. Right. They need to keep that joie de vie, they need not to be manipulated, and they need to be feel okay about the ask because hmm. women tend to like need to have everything together before they make the ask, making sure they're worthy of the ask right. where it's details right. You know, sometimes you just got to go for it. So you get a no. No's okay. Right.
0: How about, uh, and not naming names of companies or whatever, have you found yourself in a room, and in the early stage of the meeting, you come up with several ideas. Later in the, and they get nods and grunts and Mm -hmm. so forth, later in the same meeting, someone else uses a little bit different word choices, but they make the same suggestions Mm -hmm. that you make, uh, and it's a male, and you know, not cheers, but it gets accepted. Have you seen that behavior? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think some people are very good at pontificating other people's thoughts. Right. And right. those are the ones that, at the end of the day, some people will nod at. Right. I see that changing a little bit because yeah. I think people more are more readily saying, "Wait a minute! Don't don't over, don't overstep me! Don't right. interrupt me!" Um, but yeah, sure. Yeah sure i mean there's there's just old school clubs of all sort everywhere yeah everywhere
0: okay and then you're at mast and then uh, a call comes for an opportunity someplace else uh, Yes. was it going to or leaving from that was the major impetus to make a change then
1: so i think the opportunity that came my way was a great one yeah. and it was another great company called reebok and the company that i had been in i loved but you know, I'd, I'd, I'd worked it. We'd grown it, the, the my divisions, by over $300 million in four and a half years. And it was like, you know what? It's probably time to go see more, do more. Okay.
0: Um, and what was the entry-level position at Reebok? What was it?
1: It was actually, um, I went into, they had started up an apparel operation at Reebok. Yeah. And so it was a vice president position, because um, I had left Mass as an executive vice president, moved over to Reebok as, an, as the vice president, of sourcing for their apparel operation okay and um and that was interesting because it was a cleanup you know they were great at making shoes they didn't know how to do apparel people had come and gone from the area and it just needed to be put together the process needed to be put in place the partners need to had to be defined and developed and once that was done it was that area was too small for me i didn't have an interest in doing that any longer and again i was fortunate that paul fireman um offered me the position to take over the kids business worldwide for them. Okay. So that
0: um, was that was That, that? It was
1: it was Reebok started with Weebok and we made Weebok a head-to-toe brand. Okay. And then I took over the Reebok kids footwear as well.
0: Now, it's always interesting to the the migration, the internal, some would say politics, but some part of its self-promotion, some part of its in gaining more visibility. Some part of it's what you've accomplished that sets you up mm-hmm. for a, an, another move. And in, 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 you can generalize or be specific. Uh, how, what did you do to help yourself in, in gaining that promotion? What, what would you su- suggest either generally or specifically in terms of appropriate self-promotion?
1: So, you know, I, I think, again, um, I worked hard. I had accomplishments. Uh, my accomplishments were visible. And I think even people have told me I manage up well, so even in a meeting with the most senior executives, if they asked a question, I had the answer that I thought was the answer that they should be told, not the answer they wanted to hear. Right, um, I was willing to debate if somebody mm. said something that was incorrect or probably really not describing the situation well. And I think that in the Reebok situation I was rewarded because I was smart enough to understand it and willing to speak my mind. Yeah. Um and, you know, in big in, big organizations, sometimes people aren't willing to do that. Right. You know? And again, there's some luck to it. Yeah. You know, I was lucky that Paul thought I was smart. Yeah. Right? I mean, and I was there at a good time.
0: Good, good. Yeah. So, yeah, luck is, we, we talk about luck. and yeah. And sometimes we have good luck and bad luck. Sometimes we have to do things to put us in the situation where luck can even be a factor. And, That's right. And if you look at your career, uh, give us a couple examples of good luck. What what do you think really helped your career?
1: Well, I mean, I I was lucky in the promotions I got early on, and then I was very lucky. There was always a feeder company to move on to at higher levels and in better opportunities. And after my Reeboks day, I was lucky enough to be able to go into the startup world and just really learn a whole nother universe.
0: Right, we'll talk so, about the Lids yeah. experience in a minute. And,
1: and part of that I think is because I was open to it. Right. You know, And I think, par- again, part of that is I don't have a nagging fear inside of me of failure. Yep. And I don't have a nagging fear inside of me or a solid plan inside of me that says that this is what I must do next to feel successful I was ready to go with the flow yeah the ocean waves were high and we we're riding them I'm going <laughs> yeah
0: you you don't have oftentimes we have a, a risk aversion uh, and well have you failed
1: oh my gosh yeah yeah well,
0: many times well give me since you're so proud of us give me an example of your failure so you fail? a,
1: a seven years after we started lids we had to sell it through bankruptcy okay all right you know it's yep. um
0: Okay, yeah. and and we'll talk about that. Uh, the flip side is bad luck, uh, of good luck. Uh, what, what bad luck? Well, I if don't you know can? that it's
1: bad luck so much as it is sometimes you can't control external factors, right? And as a result of that, things will occur, and that's when who you are is more important than what's happening, and yep. you know being able to get through it, do the best, put the best strategy in place, and having the integrity and the courage keep going yeah i mean you got to dig deep sometimes and it doesn't always feel good
0: right i think that's particularly helpful when you look at uh younger people now uh you've had what four or five jobs in your lifetime Mm -hmm. and given the kind of dynamic workplace we're into now uh younger people in their 20s can look forward to maybe five different industries and maybe 18 jobs sure and without any negativity attached to right. that that's so the ability to adapt and persevere and the resilience that you have uh, that that kind of skill or that kind of uh, ability is really going to be rewarded yes going ahead
1: and I also think you know in this day and age. I think the younger workers understand balance so much more than my generation understood balance. I mean, it was really all about the work and you almost had to hide the fact you had a personal life as opposed to it being balance was something that everybody was seeking for. I remember after when I had my third child, I went back to work two weeks later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And And
1: because I thought I should. Nobody put a gun to my head. But that was just ingrained in me.
0: Yeah, and I guess the modern day version of you would not go back in two weeks. Yeah,
1: maybe. and and I and I could have done more at home. Yeah, um, my husband would have had paternity leave. Right. It's like there's there's so much. It's it's yeah. very different. Okay. But earlier on, I think women went back quickly because they didn't want to lose their jobs.
0: Right, and you and know. you could. Yep. Or certainly their promotability or their mm-hmm. their ability their to stay intention? in their current job. What's their intention? Right. Are
1: they still driving, or they just want to be mom?
0: All right. Uh, if you look at more recently, you've been at Lids, and if, from your perspective, and they may have been different because uh, at Lids it was a startup. Yes. It uh, Fetco. It's a mature company, I guess, so really mature, and it was a turnaround. Yes. So why don't you talk about the, you know, three or four major challenges you had at Lids as mm-hmm. a CEO, president, and mm-hmm. in, uh, in terms of your role and job?
1: Well, you know, I, I think at Lids it was, um, it truly was. Changing something from five kiosks in the New England area to 500 stores across the country in seven years, and that entailed a lot of hard work. It entailed raising a lot of capital. Hmm. It entailed managing a very influential, prestigious board that didn't always see eye to eye. Hmm. Um, it involved hiring a lot of people, um, really dealing with the younger generation, and at the time, all cash flow in and out of stores. Hmm. So. Um, your processes were critical, your ability to just duplicate and ratably open and predict store performance was very, very important. And the other side of it was, which was a thrilling side, was that it was a lot of it was based on sports and what was happening. So football versus baseball versus March Madness... All made your store assortment very different. There were a lot of regionality issues, and again, technology back then didn't allow for regionality the way it does today. Right. It was um, it was a lot of hard work by a lot of people working in a very close cross functional manner to get the job done. Hmm.
0: And I guess you know, given that description, your baseline skills that you developed as a financial person in uh, a sourcing mm-hmm. executive. We were very helpful no because, uh, you know, discipline was key. Discipline is
1: absolutely key. And being able to understand the financial picture is mm. critical to any CEO. Yeah. Okay.
0: You know, I
1: mean, you, you don't want surprises. You want to understand what's going on there.
0: And a couple of times you've mentioned the ability to manage up the mm-hmm. organization, whether it be to a prestigious board or a, a fickle board. Mm, that's uh, right. They may be the same uh, in a couple environments. Or And any tips on how you go about that, or is it just the you fall back to your adaptive personality and your ability to articulate?
1: Yeah, I think it's that. I think the other thing is just being so aware of the environment and putting associations together so that you intuitively know that this person and this person will either always agree or always disagree. Well, yep. what is the background relationship of this person to that bank? Or why did this attorney get chosen for that? So like understanding what's going on behind the scenes is critically important because mm. most things aren't as they look.
0: And how do you find that out?
1: I think you just have to be aware. Okay. You know, and just put the dots together, ask questions in a proper manner. Yeah. Um, but awareness—it's—it's it's very important to be aware of your surroundings and, and to I guess listen. That,
0: that would speak to even earlier in your career if you're a. First-line supervisor in an operations department, you probably ought to know about your boss and how long they've worked with their peers, mm-hmm. and did they ever work together or, or whatever, right. and uh, so all those types of things yeah. are worth knowing.
1: Absolutely, because who are you trying to please? If you're mm-hmm. working for somebody whose boss has a different agenda, you need to know there's a there's an issue right. there. Right, you know, and I think that also goes to doing partnership outside. Your companies because the business is done with partners so being able to listen well figure out who the partners are that you need and they need you and then making it a good balance Okay.
0: now we we spoke a little bit about mentoring and you were the beneficiary of Mm -hmm. a good mentor early in your career Uh, I assume have you adopted that style yourself to be a mentor or
1: yes yes I you know it's um over the years, and you know, I've been a CEO for the past 24 years, so I've had a lot of years of managing people, but I've always tried to make sure that the whole person is being guided, Right. that they have the business objectives and they have their career success, but that it's okay to have a bad day or have a sick kid or have an event in life mm. that's going to make you maybe a little bit less productive, but the human touch can heal so much faster than right. people having to go through it alone.
0: Now, that that is a very reasoned and logical approach, but we both have had life experiences where, probably most of the time under the pressure of, you know, uh, bad performance, company performance, mm-hmm. not enough resources to get mm-hmm. some job done, that management styles get twisted, and they don't have that degree of balance and patience in their style. Uh, were you able to fight through some of those harsh realities and, and keep that understanding of uh, workers? and
1: You know, I think so, but yeah. you're never perfect. Um, yeah. But to me, it was very simple when it was a business issue and had to be dealt with or when it was a, an employee issue that you can have some sensitivity to. So, you know, if we had to have a layoff, I wasn't going to sit there and hmm. figure out who would be the best candidate to be laid off because of their... Circumstance, life. right? You know, it's like in that case, it's what's best for the business has to be done. It's a business decision. You hate to do it, but yep. it's business. Um, so I, you know, you could kind of compartmentalize it a little bit like that. So you didn't marry the two together. And mm. while you certainly felt bad when things happened, they yep. happened. You know, right. when we had, when we sold lids, um, everybody who had stayed through that, the bankruptcy side of it, everybody left with the severance. Couldn't okay. save their jobs, but I could get them all the severance.
0: Okay, yeah, good, good. Now, uh, so lids. What was in in brief? What was the cause for the the uh, the sale or the the distress that the company was on well, I, under? You know,
1: I think that you know when you're building out retail stores, it takes a lot of capital, yep. and it was time now to raise more capital. I think we had investors who chose not to want to invest with each other any longer. A bank then comes in and says, "Well, if there's no more equity being put in, then we're going to take care of ourselves and, and pull that loan." And so there were, you know, a lot of business issues that had happened. And then when the group, the the board decided they didn't want to continue on it, it was inevitable. Right. Um, however, I will say that learning about bankruptcy was actually very helpful to me. Not that I would want to go through it. It's not that I want to put my life there, but. Again, you learned another strategy about how business can be, can go on using lawful tools. Yep. So, I mean, it was very interesting. And the good news was everybody in this field continued on. You know, we closed some stores, but everything else was a good deal done for the company. Not necessarily a good deal done for the board. Now, how
0: many hats did you leave with when you left Liz? So no. if you had that number. What, is but it under a... ten? Is it under I a mean, hundred? Well, it's
1: definitely under a hundred, but it's um, yeah. it's like anything else. When you're rounded all the time, yeah, sure. you kind of forget well, about right. it after a while, yeah. right? Okay. I-
0: ice cream is a soda <laughs> jerk. But so what was your? But favorite I was a popular hat? mom. All right. What was your favorite hat?
1: Well, I always liked to win Super Bowls, so you okay. know. <laughs> so you got the Super Bowl hats.
0: Okay, good. Uh, did you have a worse career move? People are obviously always focusing on this you know, stay-go decision yep. and whatever. Was was there a zig and it should have been a zag, meaning uh, I should have really taken that move or promotion or I, I should have left earlier in a company and not hung in there that long? Uh,
1: what, yeah. What's your
0: worst move or move you should have taken?
1: So I think the um, the last position I had at Fetco Home Decor, um, I probably could have left after getting there six weeks into it and realized what a mess this was and how, I mean, it was truly on the edge of liquidation. Yeah. So could I have spent my time more productively? Maybe. Um, I ended up staying there 14 years. So, I mean, it's hard to say I should have because I... I stayed, and, and it was very rewarding to stay. Mm. But I probably should have left that company maybe three or four years ago Yeah, because we had done what we needed to do. It brought it back to an industry leader position. And, you know, yeah, probably, probably could have, but I, I don't think, wake up regretting it, yeah. but probably could have.
0: You know, I think from a classic career management standpoint, most people stay too long. Yeah. Uh, now, maybe the upcoming generations are, are going to leave too soon, but nevertheless, I think, you, you know, 80% of the people we talk to in these discussions, if they have one thought, maybe they stay yeah. too long. So. And
1: and you get busy, right? Yeah, because looking for yeah. a job is is a lot of work. Oh, yeah. And not know? too
0: many people look forward to looking for a job. <laughs> it's just,
1: right. It's, and, it's not that fun to no, get evaluated on every move. People
0: <laughs> clicking their ears saying, heels saying, whoopee, I'm going go to go <laughs> talk to people I haven't talked to in exactly. 20 years or whatever. Uh, and how about lessons do you have a a takeaway lesson for uh just in general about career
1: you know enjoy yourself Mm. you really got to love what you do you do it too often not to um i think you take advantage take advantage of getting to know people who think different than you who have been brought up different than you get out of the country see what the world's about like just just go for it, right. go for it, take advantage of any opportunity that's given to you. It doesn't matter if you like it or not, at least you've experienced it. Yep. and you know every experience helps you to become the better you
0: one that brings up a point that uh, talking to most people that have traveled for work, the idea that you would take an extra day while you're in Italy
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, used to be a foreign thought, yes. Because you had to hurry back home. Always either, in a rush. <laughs> either because of the kids or you got a Monday yes. morning meeting. Yes. Did you try to take some extra days? Were you smarter than the rest of us? No. No. Okay. No. So.
1: No. I mean, yeah, did I get to see a few things as I traveled around the world? Of course I did. But no, I was like yeah. so... Focused on getting done what I needed to get done. And like you say, then getting back on a plane yeah. because I had a family that was falling apart. <laughs> right. It, it, particularly if it
0: was a red eye and, yeah. and you could sleep and fly. Yeah. If you hadn't got into this niche in terms of uh, sourcing and, and you know, the general management field, what might you have done differently?
1: I think I probably would have stayed in finance.
0: Okay. All right. You
1: know, and had a career in that, whole, in that financial world because I enjoyed it. I did like it. Um, but I think it was... I'm one of those people that needs, I love to learn something new and I love to learn a lot about the finance, but I don't have a need to understand every detail. So I'm glad I had the opportunity to get in a much broader field because then I didn't have to deal with the detail because you had so much else you were doing.
0: And in terms of uh, going back to uh, FETCO, uh, you had a turnaround situation. Was it the people? Was it the process? processes that existed what or was there a a, a more uh, you know more of a basic problem in terms of the marketplace and how it was responding to your your products and your pricing what, what generally, was, was, were some of the issues.
1: Uh, you know, I think one of the, uh, the problems that Fetco had is it had been purchased by some venture capitalists, yeah. and the original owners had left. Now, whether they were doing it wonderfully or not, I don't know. I wasn't there during that time. But it was in the late 90s. The VC paid way too much money for it. So the mantra became, more sales, more sales, more sales. Mm-hmm. And it became a revolving door because it was not a nice place to work. So just putting the basics back in place... Yeah. It's really like stabilizing it, bringing in the leadership team, f- deciding what the priorities were, getting your hands on the costs so you can make sure you had margins, understanding the customers, what their, their margin structure needed to look like so mm. you knew how to sell them, taking a lot of the um, flexibility out of everybody in the field into here's what you're selling mm. and making it easier for everybody to do what we wanted to be done. Okay. So it, it was kind of some basic block and tackle. And then we had some just brilliant product development people that helped, hmm. you know, make us a st- a stand in it.
0: So in some ways, and it's one of my pet theories, that managing up, meaning upsloping curves, you yes. know, uh, sales, revenue, profits, everything, uh, number of employees, uh, it may be perceived as, well, that's tough work doing that. In some ways, it's it's a lot tougher managing when the arrows are going down. No question. And you, you may well think that that's maybe where you did your best work in that kind of environment, mm-hmm. not putting that answer out for yeah. you. But where do you think you did your best work?
1: So that, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think there's just a lot of opportunity on the upside, of course. But I think... Um, One of the things that everybody tries to do when things start turning bad is they try and fix it. Mm. And you get pushed in many directions to fix it and everybody has an opinion on what the fix should look like. In the world we're living in today, it's usually not about the fix, it's about the change. And change takes time, patience, and sometimes some investment. And just understanding whether you can get to change or it's not gonna get fixed, Is is big. I mean, that that's I think the the hard part of of managing a downturn.
0: Yeah, no, that's an interesting distinction. I hadn't heard it put quite that way. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Uh, A question we typically ask revolves around technology, and to the extent technology changed. How you did what you did, mm-hmm. and in terms of, you know, I'm sure it's access to data and manipulation oh, yes. and everything. What, give me a couple of examples of when you started. Well, probably let's go to uh, MAST the difference between general managing there and in some of your more recent roles in terms well, of technology.
1: In MAST, I mean, we, we our bloodline was our Asian operations, and we used to fax every night, streams and streams and streams, <laughs> and, streams and streams and streams of handwritten paper. You know, and then at, at, li, at the Lids, when we opened all those stores, this was at the precipice of the Internet. So when we tried to put computers into the stores so people can buy any team, any size, any time, right, we had to bring the lines into the mall. The malls weren't even wired, So you you just look at like how we were way ahead of it knowing that we wanted to sell on the internet because you didn't have to carry inventory in every one of these stores, but the means by which to do it didn't exist. And then all of a sudden now we're to the point where, you know, you can be in any country in the world. You're taking pictures on your phone and you're going back and the storyboard's ready and the designers are off on it. Right. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And the speed with which, you know, it's probably too much data. You know everything from a minute before. At some point, you got to stop and use your brain. <laughs> right. But it's just incredible the speed at which and the amount of data and how the data can be sliced and diced in any way you want or to get to the answer you want.
0: All right. Now, on a personal note, are you into Apple products? Uh, what kind of smartphone do you have? Uh, do, you, uh, you, do you have a... A desktop. You have a laptop. How do you manipulate your life? So and-
1: my my phone is my lifeline. Okay. Everything is on my phone. I use a Mac. I carry around my laptop. Okay. Um, Good. Yeah, it's pretty easy.
0: Now you, you've you've in some ways left corporate America, but you want to stay engaged by doing some consulting and strategy and some mm-hmm. executive coaching. Uh, you may start some groups of. Uh, peer-to-peer compar- uh, discussions on uh, with CEOs and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, what what general thoughts do you have going ahead, too?
1: Well, you know, I, I like people a lot. Mm-hmm. I have learned a lot. I've been in a lot of environments. I'd like to share that. I'd like to mentor females, especially female executives, because, you know, the CEO role is a lonely road anyway. Mm-hmm. And a lot of small to mid-sized companies don't have strong leadership teams, so the decision's on their shoulders all the time. So, And if I can help ask the good questions, get people accountable, and give them the confidence to move forward, that's fun to me. And it keeps me relevant.
0: All right, good. Uh, And lastly, we normally ask uh, for any interesting stories. We like to keep it... Underneath an hour and a half story, but,
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, a story either something you observed happening, something you were really involved in. If it makes us sad, makes us happy, that's fine. Uh, anything you can mm, kind of think just, back on? Uh,
1: the most exhilarating things I've done in life There was a lot of fun um, was helicopter skiing in the glaciers out in um, British, the Vanco- uh, British Columbia. Yeah. So you
0: helicoptered up, did we you ski down? We helicoptered out,
1: and then they dropped you off on a glacier. So you're above the tree lines. Very few animals can live out there. And as soon as that helicopter left,
0: you're all alone, right?
1: Total silence.
0: That's very cool.
1: It was amazing, amazing, amazing ski conditions. But and you had a guide forward and back because there's crevices that drop for hundreds of feet, and you have all your, you know, stuff on in case an avalanche right. came and all yeah. that. But Fabulous. Now you've established that you're
0: aggressive and you can be competitive. Were you the first one down the the, uh, slope? I hold my own. All right. (laughs) She's being somewhat modest about that. Well, thank you very much for the time, Nancy. It was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot. Bye now.